Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks, here with my very, very, I don't know if he's excited or if he's down a little bit, co-host Corbin Ford. <laughs> <laughs> right? Can I, can I be a little bit of both? Right. A little <laughs> conflicted, a little conflicted, but yet and still he is here. We are here back again to talk about this win that obviously did not go as many expected, which we are definitely about to get into um, with Dallas taking this series in a game seven, 123 to the Phoenix Suns, 90 points, didn't even get to 100. Can't, unbelievable. But before we get going, there is no such thing as a fantasy offseason, only the pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned in draft analysis on incoming rookies so you can get a jump on your prep and we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well but only if you're a part of our premium member team head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today it's only $5.99 that's literally less than a lunch depending on where you go even though inflation is driving everyone crazy which is a separate note but see you all there please grab it um these guys do a phenomenal job and everyone loves to win. And if you love to win, this is the edge you need. With that being said, back to the Dallas Mavericks and Phoenix Suns. I don't even know where to start. I, so I'll just start with the fact that one word, wow. Because I can't believe, it's not that I can't believe they won. Because they were definitely um, worthy and capable. But the fashion in which they won. And I mean, they won however way they wanted to win. And I don't mean by a final score um, perspective, but just in the fashion in which they did it. Defensively, offensively, big scoring, big shots, shutting down the opposing team's best players. Corbin, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the floor because there's just so many directions we can go with how this went. But the one thing I will say is when you get into a game seven, and you have a superstar, it's very important for your star to come out and set the tone right away. Because I really believe that when a star comes out and he sets the tone, it creates a different energy and a sense of calmness for the role players. And it seemed like the way Lucas started the game with this bravado. I mean, he's been carrying it all throughout this series, but he really stepped onto the floor in game seven and said, you guys are going to have to deal with me. I don't care about your home crowd. I don't care about your regular season um, uh, overall record or even your playoff record or how you guys have been beating us in this series. Today, I'm not to be messed with. And that's how he started the game. And that's how they ended the game. For you, what stood out the most in this game? Man, first of all, Wow is exactly right. Like that was the main takeaway from last night, Lawrence. It was just like I was stunned. I think for me, you have to look at the poise that the Mavericks had on the on the biggest stage. And I give a lot of credit to that to the team. You know, a lot Luka Doncic coming out immediately, calmly knocking down his first three shots. Um, but you got to give it to all of the Mavericks, including Coach Kidd. They deserve the most credit, I think, because they came out, they played together, they played well. Spencer Dinwiddie, 30 points off the bench. The first 30-point duo in a game seven since Shaq and Kobe, which is insanity to me. Um, and this is between Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic. Like, 
from the top down, Maxi Kleber, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Jalen Brunson, all of them did their jobs. And not only that, but they came to play with the uh, focus and intensity that Phoenix couldn't hope to match, uh, especially not with the way they came out, you know? So it really was a, a contest decided early, and it was because they followed their leader in Luka Doncic, who is no, uh, no stranger to big games. He's been playing, you know, pro in big games since, what, 16? But also... I think it's something to be said for the mentality of a team uh, to come out together, unified, and say, you know what, now we're going to just grab this on enemy opposition. We haven't played well in Phoenix for literal years. We're about to buck all that. Like, we're about, we about to change the whole trend and the whole trajectory right here, right now. And that's exactly what they all did. Um, in addition to that, listen, man, I think this game was over before it started, and a lot of it wasn't even strategizing. We talked about this before, and I said, listen, the game seven, you've already seen all the adjustments, you know? Yeah, a big guy, a guy might come through and have a huge performance. But at this point, like, it's who plays harder, who comes out with that edge, and who says we're just going to take this series. Because at this point, tactically, X's and O's, it's all been exercised. That's why they've gotten to a game seven, you know? So I, I, I am, like, blown away by Dallas's overall uh, just intensity and uh, the fact that Phoenix came out flat. It was almost more, we're getting more of a knock on how Phoenix didn't play and how badly they dropped the ball. Let's give some credit to Dallas and how well they came out, you know? Yes, Phoenix just collapsed onto themselves, but Dallas came out and won that game. They took it. You know, they made a game that uh, was close to the first quarter, relatively speaking, just obliterated by halftime. Yeah, and we we talked about and I feel like so much of so many of the things that we touch on end up coming to fruition in the next game, right? So, yes, sir. For, for instance, we had a ra- rather lengthy discussion about who needed to show up for Dallas in order for them to win this game. So we knew Luca obviously needed to show up. That goes without being said. But I also mentioned Jalen Brunson saying I, I almost felt like those two without question had to um, show up. But then we had a discussion about Spencer Dinwiddie. And I asked you the question, do they need him to, to play well or is he more of a cherry on top type of guy? And for all our listeners, you can I, w- I wish we had the feature where you can have a sound bite in between the place right here of that conversation talking about it. And then yeah. fast forward to our real life conversation right now at this moment. But Spencer Dinwiddie um, had a really good game six. I mean, he hit five, three, he was five or seven from the three point line, knocked them all down. Great. Cool. I love it. He had uh, literally 15 points in that game, chipped in, played really well. Um, but in this game, he was 11 for 15 and had 30 points. And I don't know if any... I don't say I don't want to say I don't know. I know no one saw that coming. But just for a little context, I mean, the first, you know, in the first five games, he had 11 field goals total. First six games, he had 16 field goals total. And then he had 11 in one game. And in the first half, it was literally him and uh, Luka Doncic. They had 48 of the 57 points that the Mavericks scored. And I mean, they were doing it in a variety of ways, whether it was pick and roll, isolation handoffs you name it they were making it happen from from all three levels at the rim mid-range and the three-point line yeah it was really it was really complete from top down uh just complete evisceration um and and a a wonderful performance offensively for dallas like you said so much of what we said came to light 
Um, Spencer Dinwiddie breaking out with the best game he's had this postseason, hands down. Luca just being tremendous as usual, and you're right. Guys converting from all over. And uh, if, if there was a game to do it that was outside the friendly confines of Dallas, I mean, did Dallas not do that? Yeah, and you know, and and just just for over even more overall perspective, Dallas only had three guys that scored in double figures, and it was literally those three. So it's kind of funny that those three guys that we talked about basically needed to be the you know the three headed horsemen. They all mm-hmm. showed up and played well. But give I, I have to give credit to Jason Kidd right now because I feel like between him and and Ime Udoka, mm. who have coached phenomenal, phenomenally throughout these playoffs, have not gotten the, the credit they deserve, but more so because this is a Mavericks podcast. I have to give Jason Kidd credit for the, I mean, knowing that the knowing that they're a three-point shooting team, they're a dominant three-point shooting team, just by a number perspective. Phoenix is bottom five in the league in terms of three-pointers attempted. So they felt like they had a little bit of an edge there if they could continue mm-hmm. to knock down shots. Yeah. Even when you look at Phoenix's shot chart, they want to score in the mid-range. And Jason – and I don't want to say he saved a final adjustment and put this game seven in his back pocket, so to speak, but the way he blitzed Devin Booker and Chris Paul off of every pick and roll or any down screen or any handoff action where they were getting into a two-man game – and basically forced them to play against two people the entire night, really just short-circuited the the entire offense because obviously it wasn't working to this extent in the first six games, but the way he did it in game seven made it look like they really didn't have another adjustment because what can you do other than what you actually do? And Devin Booker is known to not be a guy that can really score or doesn't prefer to play off of double teams. Um, even when you go back to the infamous clip of him in the summertime complaining about double teams and him. Shout out Joe Noah. Yeah. And so you got that going. But then Chris Paul also just putting more length on him, making him work, um, continuing to wear him down if he's going to be such a ball dominant guy. And then when you look at the way Maxi Kleber was able to sit down and stay in front of their perimeter guys, there was just a bevy of people that could get the job done on the defensive end. And that really, really. Um, swung the tide in game seven. And even you saw the clip of Jason Kidd literally coaching like crazy from the sideline. That I mean, I've played that clip over and over again of him just calling out every action, telling Doe to stay home, calling guys out on screens. He was almost like the sixth man on the court, just continuing to chirp and continuing to communicate defensively because that's how you get it done. And I think that he deserves a lot more credit than he's getting right now because if this was a Brad Stevens or some of the league's favorite wonder kids, they would be getting so much love and we'd be talking about them in such a light that, you know, I think that Jason Kidd deserves that as well because I, I admittedly, I was one that wasn't sure about this hire, but man, has he turned it around. He really has. And at first I thought a lot of it was, you know, him being overly positive in his quotes and comments and, you know, like, oh, he, he's earned the reputation somewhat fairly, somewhat unfairly. For kind of being, you know, kind of sneaky, you know, having like going for someone's job, you know, he's had a kind of a rocky situation both in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Um, but you look at what he's done now, and, and it's—I I agree with this. I think that it's—it's—it's it's, it's entirely possible for someone to learn and grow, and we've seen this all year from Jason Kidd. You know, 
He has adapted. He has done interesting coaching strategies to first utilize the most of Kristaps Porzingis alongside Luka Doncic, anchoring a very good defense around them. Then, you know, at the trade deadline, bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie, bringing in Davis Bertans, incorporating them in this unit while still maintaining that identity. Then we see how he responds in the postseason, forcing Utah out of their element entirely, taking way less threes than before. You've already brought what they did in Phoenix, you know, totally flummoxing both Devin Booker and um, Chris Paul again and again at times. And then finally, uh, the last wrinkle in game seven. And, and there was a little clip uh, brought out by NBA was on Twitter about literally kid coaching them through entire possessions, um, you know, defensively. Hey, stay home, stay home, slide, all of that. And then at the very end of all of it, you know, just cheering and congratulating the squad saying, listen, you know, we did what we had to do. We took care of it just like we had to last, uh, last series, just like we had to on the road. And we're going to the East Western Conference Finals. Like he seems equal parts innovative, motivating, and just encouraging. And that kind of coach is the perfect guy. It works well, obviously. We haven't seen any dissension with him and Luka Doncic, even while he's been very pointed in his criticism when he's had it. But he's done it in a tactful way. And all this is words I did not think I'd be using to describe a Jason Kidd uh, as a coach. But here he is. And this is a testament as well to his leadership with this team. It's right now the perfect crossroads of a right team and a great coach. And we've seen this work for the Mavericks uh, approximately 12 years ago, actually, or 11. Yeah, and, and and even more so, you know, to even expand on it a little more. I mean, the, the Mavericks haven't been to the Western Conference Finals since 2011, and Jason Kidd was there. And so it's kind of it's kind of funny to see that he's yeah. coaching them through this situation with basically kind of the same makeup with when Dirk had, you know, all the role players that they had with you know Tyson Chandler and and um, JT, Sean Stevenson, JJ you know, and it was a bunch of a bunch of guys who were role players and a bunch of guys that could hit shots. And then there was dirt. And then you fast forward to this team, and it's kind of the same situation. You got Luca and you got a bunch of guys who are role players who are playing their role to a T. And I mean, even then, they were underdogs in throughout that run. And you that's arguably the most impressive title run we've seen when you see that they they swept the Lakers, they beat OKC in five. And then they turn around and beat the Heatles in six. So it's like, and that was just with Dirk and in, in, in the role guys. Now you got Luca in the role guys. And I'm sure he's in the locker room telling those guys, you know, anything can happen if you believe, anything can happen if we defend. And I think that's one of the overlooked things about this team is yeah, they've um they've made some, you know, they went from being kind of the underdog to like now they have a legit shot, not not because they didn't initially. But when you when you really look close, they've been one of the better defensive teams all year. And then they've been one of the better three point shooting teams all year. And then you add a superstar in that mix. And that's a recipe for a team that can win a championship. And all of that has all of that. Those kudos have to go to Jason Kidd because he's taken this roster and turned it into something that could win the, legit win the championship this year. And I think that that can't I, I can't emphasize it enough. No, it can't be overstated. You said it. it's, it's it's crazy just, like, forming the lips to say that because I thought that the Mavericks, of course, were contenders, but not, like, wow, no, they looking legit, get the better of this matchup here against the Warriors, and then go and win the whole dang thing. It's very much possible. Like, they've made the NBA Final Four, and they've done it in a style that is replicable um, and is literally their core identity. As long as they're making shots and defending well, they have a chance, and they have a superstar town, Luka Doncic, who – Literally is a matchup nightmare and a super duper star, in my opinion, 
and look what it's anything is possible with that type of recipe. Yeah, and, and and so you know, reeling it in a little bit to talk about kind of how the game went, and you know, the first quarter, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in terms of like, is Dallas going to make shots? Are they going to be down? What type of runs it? Because you know, a lot of times you have to weather the storm because the home team comes out blazing, and then yeah. you kind of just have to wait to settle in. But Dallas actually came out and took the first punch, and then as things started to go, it just it seemed as if Dallas was gaining more and more confidence by the possession, not on offense, but on defense. They were just so sure about what they wanted to take away and how they wanted to defend. And Phoenix just never caught a rhythm to that. So then when you get to halftime and it's 57-27, the largest halftime deficit in a game seven history, I was like, man, I kind of got nervous because I'm like, are they going to come back? Are, is Dallas going to fall flat on his face? I didn't know what was going to happen. I just was like, as long as they keep it up, as long as they can continue to score, they should be fine because it would take a huge run for them to come back. But it never it never happened. And then you look at the way Chris Paul was playing. It didn't look like he was going to turn it around. He didn't even score his first two points until they were down by 40 points. And so I just I became speechless probably about four or five minutes into the third quarter. And then here comes Jalen Brunson. He scores 12 points in the third quarter. And I'm like, yeah, this one, it might be over. (laughs) Yep, yep. I was actually the exact same way, bro. Like, it was like, wow. All right, can Phoenix show some fight? 12-point game, not that bad. 10-point game, not that bad. 15 points. Like, we've seen comebacks before. And if any team can do it, it's the Phoenix Suns. 64 wins, all that jazz. Third quarter happened. You know, seeing um, Lucas still going off, seeing Brunson come alive. I was like, hold up now. And it was funny because uh, uh, I'm sure you, you a, friend, a mutual friend, um, Nikaias Duncan, um, had posted on Twitter, like, okay, looking to the next round in the third quarter. And I was like, bro, wow, bro, stepping, like, not even giving the Suns a chance. And then I'm looking at them and I see the lack of fight. I realize Aiden's on the game. And I'm like, actually, nah, fam, let's take a fork in them. They are done. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, so then, you know, like you said, DeAndre Aiden gets benched. Apparently, you know, Monty – there, there's there's a rumor that Monty was extremely upset that he felt that DeAndre Aiden had threw in the towel and he didn't like that. Um, and then you look at the body language of everyone and you can just tell as the game was waning, the belief was getting smaller and smaller and those guys just weren't feeling as if they could come back in this game. And so it's just an all-around impressive performance to see from a team that you know, was definitely an underdog coming into this game. And many expected a blowout. And like Jason Kidd said, yeah, it you guys got the blowout part right, but but for the wrong team. And so I just, you know, especially when you look at the fact that they really only had three dominant scores, but they all were dominant defensively. I mean, when you go into the plus minus, Reggie Bullock was a plus 44, Dorian plus 37, Dwight Powell plus 24. Mind you, Dwight Powell was playing DeAndre Aiden straight up at one point, and, yep. and, and DeAndre Aiden couldn't score on Dwight Powell. And then you saw weird stuff like Torrey Craig being in the game and JaVale McGee getting the ball in the post. They were so out of sorts, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I was even watching with people who don't watch a lot of basketball, and they were like, wow, I can't believe what's happening. If they can't believe it, you know it's 
it's now gone overboard. <laughs> yeah, you know it's going off the rails if that's if that's what's going to happen. Yeah, so then Spencer Dinwiddie, he's a plus 29. Maxi Kleber is a plus 29. They literally played everyone in this game. The entire roster played in, in mm-hmm. terms of guys that were active. I mean, all the way down to our guy Boban. So, like, you look at this game and you see what happened, and it literally just shows that it's a total team effort. And when you believe and you have a superstar like Luka Doncic, I mean, I had him in my top 10, but he's probably a top five guy in the NBA right now. This is a legacy marker type of game where many people projected him to be something and felt like he was something. But then you get that certified stamp when you do something like this. And I know, you know, Trey Young went to the Easter Conference Finals last year, and that was great. Um, which I thought was very much a step in the right direction for him, kind of a legacy marker for him. But it didn't come in the fashion that it seemed like this did for the Dallas Mavericks to be down 0-2 to the number one seed. No one gave him a shot to win. And then you get down to a game seven where the percentages show that most game sevens are won by the home team first and foremost. But then when you consider how poorly Dallas has played in Phoenix in this series, it was almost like, man, I don't know how they can do it, but I'm just going to believe just off the strength that I'm a fan. And they came in and wiped all of that away from anybody that had any doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you make a good point in, in, in drawing that comparison to Trey Young making the East Grand Finals last year. It's like Trey Young took advantage of circumstances in his favor um, where Luka Doncic here kind of made his own luck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, barring the Suns are just an epic collapse, no. But Luca and the Mavericks put themselves in a position to at least have that chance by fighting back in the series, you know, winning just definitively at home and then blowing them out in, in, in game seven. And then we saw what they did in the first round as well to a team that many had kind of in a toss-up between Utah and Dallas. So, yeah, I, I look at Atlanta, and even last year, I mean, you know, Atlanta won the games they had to win. Credit to them for that. But the opponents weren't of the type that the Mavericks have faced here, you know? And Luka Doncic being just routinely unstoppable this entire series wasn't something they had last year either. You know, if we remember that Hawks-Bucks series, like, yeah, Trey Young had his moments, but that was a, that was a rock fight. Like, immediately after the Knicks series was over, Trey Young encountered a lot more difficulty. You know what I mean? Um, whereas Luka has been just superb. And not only that, the role players have stepped up. You know, if you look at round one, Jalen Brunson really did the most here. Look at round two. I'd give it a tie, honestly, between Max Kleber and Dorian Finney-Smith. Brunson took a little bit of a step back. Spencer Dibley didn't really come alive until game seven. But those two wingmen really helped make it possible for the Mavericks to stick around, keep fighting, win the games they had to at home, and then come the road game seven onslaught where they all came together. Yeah, who's going to be the hero of the conference finals? That's that's the question I'm interested in. Yeah, so speaking of the conference final, as we wrap this up, what are, what's the biggest component for them to win this Western Conference Finals? For me, I think it's going to be if Luka can control pace and if the Mavericks are making three-point shots. Um, I feel like the the Warriors are going to make Luka work a little more defensively. So I think he's going to have to do a little more running just because Golden State's offense is predicated off of, off of ball movement and man movement as opposed to ISOs or, um, or you know, dribble handoffs where they're getting into different sets, um, having a guy up top or on the wing. The ball can – I mean, the offense can be initiated from anywhere because it's really just predicated off of what they're seeing out there and they they counter what you are doing. Um 
so I think it's really Luka controlling pace and Dallas making shots. For you, what's the biggest component you think is for them to win this series? Um, it's going to be making threes, but I also think defensively staying committed. You know, you have a team in Golden State that, again, is three guys mainly from the offensive standpoint. It's Seth Curry, it's Klay Thompson, it's Jordan Poole, you know? And then you might have a little bit of exposure from Andrew Wiggins once in a while, um, but that's it pretty much from offensive uh, standpoint for Golden State. So you really want to make sure to do your job to, you know, I mean, the Golden State Warriors have looked the most beatable we've seen them look, even if you take that 2019 team. Like the Grizzlies kind of, you know, until they start breaking down physically, had the Warriors on the ropes, even in round one. You know, the Warriors had uh, a little bit of an issue there uh, with the far less uh, superior um, Nugget squad, but a squad that, like, listen, if they weren't as breath of town as they were, might have given the Warriors a much more of a fight that would have pushed them more to the edge. I think that if you can knock down your shots, Luka Doncic will continue to be the matchup problem that he is. And then uh, defensively, just making sure that you do your best to curtail some of these guys, I think you'll be good. I think one of the the long-lasting points from this series we'll look at is the matchup hunting that will happen on and on and on because the Mavericks will definitely try to seek out, you know, uh, Jordan Poole, most definitely. Uh, Steph Curry, to a lesser extent, maybe even Clay Thompson. And the Warriors will go right back and try to attack Luka and anyone else they deem as unworthy of staying in front of these guards for Golden State. So it'll be interesting who survives that hunting matchup as well. Absolutely. I'm I'm excited. I can't wait to see this get started. Oh, yeah. It's been a high-level chess match between two coaches. And I mean, you couldn't ask for more star power. I mean, there's plenty of it for us to to see in this series between Luca and Steph and Clay and Draymond. And I mean, I, I can we throw Jordan Poole in there at this moment? I mean, I why? Yeah, I think he's arrived. Why not? I, I mean, think he counts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, then I guess we might as well lump Jalen Brunson in as well. I mean, there's just there's so much there's so much on the line for both of these teams. I mean, you got Golden State trying to repeat. Um, not repeat in the sense that they just won last year, but get back to where they used to be in their glory days not so long ago. And then you got the Mavericks who were underdogs, but I don't think that they're necessarily underdogs at this point. I mean, they may be by the by the book, quote unquote, but I think this is literally a toss up. I think either team could uh, come out of this series on top, especially considering how Dallas just um, knocked off Phoenix. And so I'm excited. I think this should be a good one. And it all starts on Wednesday. So I'm sure everyone will be there and I'm sure we will too. And we'll be anxious as I don't know what to get back to talking about it, because I think that this series is probably going to go about six or seven itself. So thank everyone for listening. We really appreciate you guys joining us on the sports ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. Please download or subscribe, leave a five-star review. Let us know how you feel. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Ethos Mavericks, and my personal Twitter account is at LB Said It. Corbin, where can everyone find you? Oh, on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Any and all stuff will be there, as well as some fun little retweets. So, on Twitter, uh, Instagram too, if you like that. <laughs> Absolutely, salute to the Mavericks. As Jay Z says, on to the next one. Yes, sir. And we are on to the next round, the Western Conference Finals, first time since 2011. We'll take it. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Everyone be safe. See you soon. Go Mavs.